welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Rebecca Louisa Smith, aka Rebecca the Film Doctor. She was born in the United Kingdom and began as a personal assistant at a variety of corporate companies, working her way up to become an award-winning consultant and media personality who has over a decade of film festival strategy consulting experience, although that is not all she does. She's recently written a book called Born to Do It, Becoming the Leader of a Business Niche Using Powerful Spiritual Techniques. And her aim is to help others who are pondering the leap into entrepreneurship or who are already on the journey and yearning for more success and profitability. One of the reasons that I'm so excited that Dr. Rebecca is here today is to not only discuss what she does, but also about creativity and the connection with mental health. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tammy. So why don't we just dive right in? I would love to know more about your book and how it can help people across the creative field. So Born to Do It came out of the blue. <laughs> it wasn't like I'd planned to write it for a couple of years. It pretty much came into my world when a publisher said, you ever thought about writing your own story and helping people from your experiences? And I said, no. But then as this pandemic occurred, I thought, well, there's probably time to actually write it because my routine was different. I, we go into festivals all the time normally and traveling like nonstop. So it was nice to actually like just, you know, dive deep into the world of writing. I hadn't done for a while since my PhD. So I thought, you know, I've done a lot of kind of business experience since uh, since 2010. And I started out in the world of business without any like, you know, business degrees. But I learned kind of on the job, but I had lots of experiences with business coaches and also spirituality. And I realized when I was working with business coaches that the missing component in the in like the in the field of literature for business startups and you know and running a business was spirituality. They didn't really talk much about how to manifest what you want for the business, how to make a vision board, how to place your cosmic orders. It was kind of very much, you know, it was, I wouldn't say it was all dry. It was just very much like, you know, the infrastructure, the business tools, the systems that are important. But it's kind of like a gap in the field, you know, talking about to really, you know, to get that dream client, to get that dream project. And there's other things that goes into it than just putting in your KPIs. <laughs> um, I thought it was a little bit missing. So I kind of fused the two together. And what I did is in the book is I wrote about how to start up your business when you find out what it is that you really want to do, that you're born to do, aka your sole purpose, what you're born to do, and how to find your niche and then how to start up your business and incorporate the key spiritual components. Excellent. And of course, you're known as the film doctor. How how did that come to be? Is that something that you always dreamed of doing or did you sort of fall into your niche? 
That was not a job I thought I would be doing when I was younger, my dream job. But it is my dream job now and I live the dream because I love doing what I do. But again, came by accident. <laughs> it's like my other thing, like the book is came by accident too. So I was studying my PhD and I knew that when I did my PhD thesis, I was interested in it. Obviously, I had a, had a passion for Tarantino and academia to a degree, but it didn't feel like it was my why that got me up in the morning and I had all these creative ideas for my PhD. You know, I enjoyed it, but there was something more to come. I didn't know what it was, but I thought I'm going to go with the flow. So I moved to Wales in Upper Risworth. Um, that's a, in a coastal town in Wales, quite far from where I was born and raised. And I thought I'm just going to go with the flow. And then I was asked to co-produce a film festival. And I thought, why not? Because it'd be a nice hobby. And that hobby actually tapped in and tuned into my sole purpose. This is what I love to do. I love producing film festivals. And I asked filmmakers during the festival what they liked and disliked about film festivals. And they all said the same thing. We love film festivals. The issue we have is that we've got nobody to turn to to ask or figure out how to get our films into festivals. There's no strategist available. We're just hoping for the best and seeing what happens and throw it in the air and no strategy at all. I thought, well, there must be somebody doing this. It turns out there wasn't really anybody doing it, you know, like as a full-time business. There was one company that doesn't work, doesn't do it anymore, but he was a really good pioneer for that niche. And I learned a lot from him. So we went on Google, me and my friend, I thought anyone else that does this, because back in that day, you know, in like 2009, LinkedIn and Instagram, Twitter, Facebook weren't, or X, weren't used in the same way that they are now for businesses. So really it was the internet, a Google search. And there was that one person who was had a very small on the side business doing that, but it wasn't like a full-time thing or I wanted to go big and I wanted to make sure every filmmaker had beside them a film strategist to get their films into festivals. And here we are. So I did the, I finished the PhD, but then I really, really wanted to, you know, follow my dream and build up this business. And I had no business experience at that point. I had a PhD to help me and figure out how to manage a project, but I didn't have any business experience, but I was, you know, guided to leave the Wales, go to London where the film industry is in the UK and build it up. And now I live in uh, in the US, building it up over here. So it was just having to trust it and to let go of all doubt. Like, you know, oh, you can't do it. It's it's so small. You got to prove to people this is going to work. I thought, well, I know it's going to work because I'm doing it <laughs> and I'm guided to do it. And I've got this plan in place and I know it's going to work. I just have to really just stand my ground and just go with the flow and see what happens. That reminds me of that Japanese principle. I think it's pronounced like Ikigai or Ichigai yeah. where where there's like these four things. and It's like what the world needs and what you love and what you're worth and what you can be paid to do. Yeah. And it's sort of smooshed together. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I didn't know much about that until I started like researching uh, when I moved to London about, you know, business systems and spirituality. And they all kind of, they all kind of came at the same time and naturally blended together. And then I was like, my book can help with this now because there's people who are struggling with businesses because they're not focused on what they want and what they want and also bringing in spirituality to help them because it is a real, real key tool. What are some key components that you tend to tell every client, regardless of the kind of project they're working the key thing I tell each client of mine is to always create for themselves a space where they can let go. Because a lot of my clientele have spent a lot of time making a piece of art, that being their film. And sometimes people don't always, uh, can always uh, like detach emotionally and see the film as a product. Because when the film has finished production and post-production, it then becomes a product to get out there in the world. And people will not perceive it in the same way that they did because they obviously put the heart and soul and emotions into it. 
obviously people like distribution companies, festivals and sales agents, they don't see it in that same way because looking at how they can sell it and market it to an audience. So it is a very different process. And it can be how people tend to transition because it's their, you know, pride and joy, which is understandable, but it can be tough when rejections come in and they start to take it personally. And it's really important to remember in the world of film festivals, it's very rare nowadays that they didn't like the film. When it's a good film, there's definitely means it, it, it was light. It was only in every single festival. Rejection is part of the process. And that's what I encourage my clients to do is take a space to let go and let your baby now go out in the world and don't hold it back by being so attached to it and so emotionally attached to it because that way it can't breathe. Anyone get, the, anyone get the results that you want. And that's a real key, key thing that I mentioned in my new ebook that came out, Film Festivals Look After Your Mental Health. Although it's for filmmakers, it can be applied to any industry, but that's a key thing is to let go and allow the results to come in and trust in the strategy and the process and it will come. And to remember that no just means not yet. Some will come in, just not when you might want it on your timetable. Yeah, that makes sense. And I imagine that sometimes something may be entered in a film festival and it might be wonderful, but maybe it's not the right fit for that type of film festival. Exactly. So it's important when you strategize that you include in that strategy festivals that have an audience for your film and you know, have themes that fit the theme of your film and you know would be very suitable for the festivals. It has the right kind of people and, and team and all that can resonate with the film is a real key thing. If you end up going to general and broad, you'll get no's and it'll be more, it's more rejection. So it's very important nowadays to be streamlined and focused and very targeted. That seems like it could be applied to so many aspects, you know, whether it's applying for jobs or applying for yeah. schools or yeah. or anything like that. Really, really honing in on what might be a good puzzle piece fit before you even cast your net out there. Oh, absolutely. It is. I mean, it's very important that whatever job industry you're in, you have a strategy. And that's one of my mottos is always have a strategy, always have a plan. And that's not just film festivals, as you correctly say. It's for any industry, any career position, any area in the industry. It's really important to have that life plan and that, and that map so that you know which direction to go in. And sometimes you might have to change gears here and there, which is totally normal. It can be like with a festival strategy, for example. You know, sometimes you think, okay, well, let's get into more festivals that are, say, women's festivals than it is general ones. So let's stick to that niche and let's excel and flourish and get loads more results and awards because that's where it's clicking. So stuff like that, you know, tap into that niche and you can then become like an abundance of selections and awards. And it's it's just a joy to see that happen. Do you ever anticipate making a film yourself in the future? Well, saying that, a friend of mine this morning, she read Born to Do It. It's actually divine timing. And she, she, got, she got around to reading. She's been really busy traveling. And she said, I've just finished reading the book. And it so clicks with me. And I've got to get my vision board up and running for 2024. Now it's around the corner. And then she said, um, this is quite a story that you've been on, like with the journey, how you got into your industry, but also when you were planning on moving to LA, then you had the issue in immigration. Um, and then I ended up in Dallas. That in itself is a film. So we should really document this because it's different. I was like, well, yes, we probably could. I mean, I have to find somebody to write the script for me and then I can then, you know, maybe produce. But it's something that I think it's coming to me probably next year to really get developing it because it's something that I've been, many science people have said, let's do it. But I've been like, you know, busy with the business. So now is probably a time with design today and with you and ask that question. Let's get it into shape. You mentioned vision boards. I love, I love that 
I love that so much. I I remember creating like a physical one years ago when I was wanting to get into grad school for music therapy. And I had like the campus map taped up on the wall and like lots of little other stuff like that. But what are what are some of your favorite ways to vision board? Are you are you a physical vision boarder or do you like to do like the Pinterest thing? If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. First of all, love that you had a physical vision board, you know, exactly what you wanted in those pictures. Because obviously you say pictures got to resonate. They can't just be random pictures. They got to resonate. So I'm both. So I have a physical A3 vision board. And I also have an app called Vision Board where I have my one that I carry around with me. That app is just called Vision Board. Basically, it's quite easy to find. And you, you know, create, you put your own images on there and you put your affirmations. For example, I will receive an award at the Cannes Film Festival by 2024, in May 24, for example, and put an image of like the palm door. That's a good example. So you have words and pictures and you have like a deadline when you want it to happen or you just like a time frame so you can start manifesting and focus on it and get really, you know, when you really got it. So I have both. And when I did my vision board at the very beginning, when I first got into this world of vision boards, I did it in a way that was a little bit you know, not really what I wanted, but then I've looked at it properly. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put on motion board exactly what I want and the affirmations of what I want and images that click with me. So I spend a bit of time creating a vision board. I don't do it in two minutes. I like, you know, get magazines that I know will, will connect with the images in there, whether it be L Decoration or Tatler and Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, all those kind of magazines that are aesthetically pleasing and have images that sometimes just grab onto you. And it takes me time to store them up. And then I put them together. Sometimes what I do on my A3 vision board, like I have over there, is I put stickers on that are like, you know, of awards and Oscars. And I also have um, images on there, which are like words like you can do it and goals, soulmate, all those kind of things that you can get off the internet, those kind of stickers. And also images that I tend to find maybe on a card, so I put on A3, like an image of say, you know, teamwork or a dog or something that really clicks and like something I do want for 2024 and not to procrastinate. And uh, not that I do, but just something that will be like, right, let's look at this and then believe we have the right dog and the right pooch to come and to come and live here. That kind of thing. I'd be quite creative with it and I spend time and I only put an image up on there that clicks with me. If it's an image that doesn't really resonate, I'm not going to put it up because it's not, you know, connected to it. I've got to look at it and think, this is me. So I have one on there right now. This is one for 2024. And it's an image of a woman. It's just a close-up of a woman with this jacket on and this gold bag. And it was in a article about confidence, you know, work confidence, you know. So she's got the gold bag and she's going to a meeting or an event or presentation. And look at that. And it's like, this clicks. It's like, you know, going for gold. 
And the bag being gold just made me think, ooh, because gold is a color that, you know, it always represents with top prize and the, you know, the gold medal and that kind of thing. And, you know, the highest of the high. And it just clicked with the images. So it's the images and what's, and the colors that really connect with me to do my vision board. I do find that I look at both every day on my app and on my uh, office, but with the app is great because it reminds you to look at it. It says, visualize your dream life. Every morning when you wake up, there's a little notification to look at it. And it's great. You stare at it and go like, yeah, you know, just find like a few minutes to stare at it. And it's time to do that. Do it in the day if you have to. But that's a really good reminder to every day. It says, visualize your dream life. I love that. I'm such a huge fan of that type of mindset, I guess you could say, or even, yeah. or even a lifestyle of just sort of infusing yourself with confidence and affirmations and because life you know even if you have a lot of great things in life there can be tough days there can yeah. be days where you just need to be reminded that like hey this is this is a pathway <laughs> you know yeah oh exactly and that keeps you in alignment when when you have stuff like that your challenges that come it still makes you realize to stay focused on your goals. And actually vision boards can be also seen as like a good mental health tool. Because back in the day, they used to be like fun. You know, when I first made, when I made my first vision board, it was just a fun thing. It was like, you know, it was like, oh, there's a big car to put on. I was like, do I actually want a Ferrari? You know, do I really want a Ferrari? Or am I happy with the car I have? It's like, what do I really want? It does make you think twice about is what you want aligned with what you want. What would say what you should have? So they were like, you know, fun on a piece of paper. There was an A3 piece of paper and stuck it up. It was a bit silly. But now it's like a proper thought out vision board. But they were seen in the beginning as like, back in the day would be like a bit of a fun tool. But now actually they're seen as quite a therapeutic tool and can actually help with mental health issues. So when you have like, you know, some kind of depression or anxiety, when you have a vision board to look at, that's like soothing, tranquil images, images that you want, you know, place you want to go, things you want to achieve, it helps you, it helps you come out of depression and becomes like a therapeutic kind of tool. So it's not really, you know, maybe the go-to kind of thing that doctor might say, but like art creativity, like putting together the vision board, the whole process, find the images, put them on the paper, gluing them together, putting them in a collage, being artistic, using your hands. It's a really, really good, powerful therapeutic tool that can actually lead to success and ease depression. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that it started out sort of as a fun thing and now it's more of a mindfulness thing. But I mean, it could definitely still, I mean, like, I feel like those two merge, like, you know, put on some music that you enjoy, you know, yeah, get out the magazines and scissors and markers and glue. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like reconnecting to like an inner childhood almost it is it is it's reconnection and uh even with the inner child because it's when we get the that depression and we get those kind of challenges a lot of it's linked to your inner child and it needs nurturing and you need to look after it and it's something that we always don't really think about when someone and things pop up for me it's like challenges or anxiety pops in inner child always needs nurturing and look at the vision board helps a lot with that I'm just looking at it now it's like oh look at those things there and and these images and I look at it I make sure look at it every day Sometimes not always first thing in the morning, but they do say that a good time to look at it is first thing in the morning and last thing at night. That just then can keep your subconscious like in alignment with what you want and trains your brain to think in that way. They already have what you want on the board. Like I said, big fan of vision boards, but what happens if a person doesn't get something that they've hoped for on the vision board? How do you recommend they deal with that? 
So I think there's two things. One is to remember maybe not yet or this year and to keep it on there. If you feel connected to it, keep it on there. So I actually had for the past maybe three years, I've always had the Oscar statue on there. I had a film that was Oscar nominated in 2016. That was a short film. That was a consultancy client of mine who did really well with that. I was really proud of him. And I was like, I'd like to have another film that I've worked on further to be Oscar nominated or Oscar shortlisted. And they've announced a few days ago the Oscar shortlist and one of them is on there. And I had the, the Oscars on there, as it always has been. Never, I never let go. I never thought like, you know, okay, well, maybe it's not going to, just a dream. It's a pipe dream. It's not really going to ever happen again. But I never thought that. I was like, no, it needs to go on there. And then we had that amazing news to get on the shortlist. So if it gets further, great. But then to get that far is achievement for the, for the client and for the film and for everybody involved. It's really exciting. So I never wanted to, to get rid of it, you know, and sometimes having disbelief can actually make make you keep it on there, you know, and then you, because you would detach emotionally quite easily from it. So when that happens, if it's like not that year, then it's going to come at some point and you feel strongly attached to it, keep it on there. Also, what's important to another kind of uh, layer to that is it could be maybe just to shift things and change things a little bit, just tweak it. It just needs a different strategy. So if you've got on there, like, you know, maybe putting on there something like being the head of marketing. But maybe you need to do something before that to get to the head of marketing. It could be taking a course, learning about being head of marketing, or it could be maybe taking on new projects that will help you get up to that role. Like maybe it's not quite going to be that year. Maybe there's something else that needs to be done to help you. So maybe put there something, be an image like maybe going on a course about learning being a marketing director, for example, and the head of marketing, you know, that kind of thing. So it could be like, what have I learned from this? So what didn't come together and what still feels like it's in alignment, what isn't, but also what might need tweaking. It's like with rejection letters it's, or rejection. It's generally, it's like, okay, there's no failure, only feedback. It just needs to tweak things to go on a different route to get to that top point. You've, you know, obviously have an interesting journey getting to where you are, but what is one of the biggest barriers that you faced and how did you overcome that? Well, the biggest thing I faced was a lot of people, and it was not really all my family, but a lot of people in the industry said to me, with this business that you want to launch and becoming a festival strategist, because nobody really does it and no one knows about it, you've got to prove this works. And they, someone said it's going to be blood, sweat and tears for you to do that. It's going to, trust me. And they were not wrong. They were spot on. It was like tough in the beginning. It's getting knocked down and people not believing in it or seeing the value in it. But I was still disciplined, even when the no's I got and the doors being shut by people saying, you know, this doesn't sound like our thing. We don't really need it. People began to realize that you do. And they were saying, well, it's really hard. And someone now knows this. There's someone here that can just tell us what to do. It's such an amazing thing. So I thought, yes, it is. And the people that did believe me, and then they got behind me and helped me. So that's finding a tribe is really important. And they, they weren't all just business business coaches, some of them were, but people in my industry were like, oh my God, this works. You've helped to get our film into this festival. How did you do that? Because it was something that was never really known back in 2010. By having to prove this works, I was, you know, staying my ground. I was working up all hours, staying up every hour till God sends to prove this would work. And then I've done it. And then people then really started to believe it and were like, oh, you know, word of mouth becomes positive and it spreads and you get then in demand. So that was the biggest thing was people saying it wouldn't work and that it would take you a long time to prove it. It didn't take that long as I thought it might take. As they were saying to me, I think it was like years and years. It took more like two years to actually fully get that brand and then people knowing what this is. And it was a serious role. And the people that, the other people that do what I do, and they, you know, it's great for them too to have that same appreciation now than what we didn't have in the beginning. What is something that you have learned along the way that you apply moving forward? 
So in hindsight, I wish I sat down the day I said, I'm going to create my business, the film festival doctor. And then I wish I actually thought, right, let's get a business coach. Because I was there just like going full steam ahead with no systems or funnels in place. So I highly recommend you do get a coach that be a business coach and potentially a life coach is also good to have a mentor to help you that you can trust and believes in you and your business and has the passion for you and generally running a business. Because I have a passion for all the films I work on. I love doing what I do. No one's a number. Um, it's not on a slate of people. Everyone gets that attention, which I love doing. Um, I have a lot of people to work with, so I treat them more differently in how they like to be treated. So it's important that you meet that kind of same business coach on your journey as well. You have a PhD and PhDs take a lot of persistence. And I'm yep. sure so many of the skills that you honed in your schooling transferred to business. Um, but what is something that surprised you in that transition from academia to the business world? Well, academia is great for helping you when you do a PhD, manage projects and how to you know, um, break down a massive project into bite-sized chunks. And that helped me a lot starting up the company. But what surprised me was accounting. I mean, I was really surprised by how convoluted it was and it's not really straightforward approach and the tricks and stuff you have to learn was not in a book. So having an accountant tell me what I need to know was really helpful because I was just like, thinking, all right, let's save lots of money. Let's not do any expenses. And it's like, you need to, <laughs> you need to kind of put me through the business so you don't pay as much tax. I was like, oh, so of course no one told me that. So, you know, when I know it's better, but that was a new thing because the books aren't very helpful sometimes. They're not very like, you know, in layman's terms. I didn't want to do a course on, on accounting, sitting down with an accountant that knew it inside out and doing it all his life was so helpful. But I was surprised by how difficult it is when you have your own business. Being a sole trader, is not as bad, but having a business, it's very complex, especially when you are what we call in the UK at the time I was called VAT registered and over here it's different. So it's, uh, it's quite, it's quite a shock to have, you know, a bit overwhelmed by how much I could have lost. Also luckily how much I managed to save by having a good accountant that helped me at the right time. Getting back to films, fun question. What is one of your favorite films that not one that you've worked on, but just in general, one of your favorite films? Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> hence the poster. So, hence the poster. So Pulp Fiction, I absolutely love. Um, when I watched that back in 1994, I was hooked. The dialogue. And then I also, I'm a big fan of Tarantino. It's my favorite Tarantino film, favorite film generally. Uh, that film is one of the best I've ever seen. And I like it because I find the characters realistic, the dialogue's realistic. And Tarantino creates a world where you can get really engaged and, you know, and, and, and find yourself living in one of his characters. So it is interesting. Uh, and I really like that film because I love the soundtrack as well. It's everything about it is just, to be honest, I think it's a flawless film. It's hard to find a film that's flawless, but I just think it's flawless. Even the bit in the middle, people moan that saying it's a bit too long. I think it's the perfect length. So um, I don't think it needs to be shorter or longer. It's just as it is, it works like a, like a charm. And I've seen it, God knows, I think I know it word for word, probably like 30 times or more when I was younger, I watched it every weekend. Every time I go on a plane, a long haul journey on a plane, I watch Pulp Fiction because it's always on the archives. It sounds like it's one of your top comfort movies. Yes, it is. Even though it's like, you know, quite violent in some parts, it's just, it's so well made, so well done. I can just watch it on loop. We just recently had the holidays. Is there a comfort holiday movie that you enjoy? Well, I really love in terms of holidays that like, I actually really like Die Hard as a Christmas movie. 
um, even that's not comfort but i think a really good film that's a really good comfort movie on holidays is the holiday cameron diaz and kate wins in it that's a really you know it's a real warming heartful movie and it's really good um so that one is one of my favorites yeah that's a cute one i really love um love actually yep good british movie Yep, yep yep and then a muppet christmas carol yeah, that's a fun one too. That's a really good one as well. Mother Kids was a lot of fun. So you're picking the right movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so again, back to your business. You know, I don't want you to give away secrets or anything like that. But what is something you can share about the new year and what you plan to do in, in the new year? So one of the things I'm doing in the new year is I'm launching a new service and product. So the new service is my Oscars submission management service. So it's generally it's a service that I just only offer to clients, but I'm actually offering it now to all filmmakers because it is quite a complex submission for the Oscars. It's not a two minute like, you know, sign up. You need to do quite a few things with it. And it's also quite complex in terms of what they want because some materials have to have no wording on just the name of the film. You know, so it's quite complex. But I really enjoy it. My team loved doing the Oscar submissions and I really loved it. And I was like, let's open it up because, you know, we don't do it all, all the time. It's going to be more towards the end of each year, more around August time, July, August time uh, and September, October time. It's not really going to be this time each year. So let's open up and do it for shorts and feature films and that kind of thing. So that's going to launch officially the 1st of Jan because the submission process for the Oscars opens the 1st of Jan until 30th of, of September. Um, and there'll also be another product launching, which is your, which is called your Film Festival Submissions Organizer because submissions open different times of the year. Sometimes people miss things because they don't get notified or because they just get busy. So this is a diary to keep track of all the submissions on your wish list and to keep track of when they open so you don't miss the call for action and you also submit when it's going to be cheaper and not more expensive. Oh, that is a really good idea. Yeah. So they're really good products, a really good product and a really good service to help more filmmakers. I want to do that, to do it in a way where they're supported and we just, you know, cut through all of the complicatedness and make it easy for them. We're going to dig deep into a little more of who is Dr. Rebecca. And one thing I'd love to know is what is a book you read recently that inspired you? I think a book I read recently that really inspired me was actually, it's called it's a film book. It's called The Art of Film Funding by Carol Dean. And it was interesting because it wasn't all about how to fund your movie. She's a bit like me. We're like, we're like, we're like twins almost, even though different ages. And she mentions in it that to, you know, get your film funded, it's all about your mindset. And she brings a lot of spirituality. And I got really inspired because she brought in tools and concepts that I work with, a different kind of way to apply them in different kind of like want and need with the film industry. So it was really interesting reading it because there's a lot of it I got from like more inspiration and creativity for my own work and my own clients. And also have a book now because all clients will always say, I want to get funding for my next film. And they had that like attachment, like the money. It's like, that's the wrong way. It needs to be like just looking at the finished film and not getting too over the top with, um, with money and how much and finding it. So I give that to them as a really good resource um, to help them figure out how to find the funds. And also for me, it just pivoted me to just approach things a little bit differently with my own business. And I read it like, okay, well, this will be nice to read for clients about how to help them. I was like, oh, this is actually really relevant to me as well. <laughs> That's always good when you pick something up and it's got multiple places in your life, yeah. essentially. Yeah, because yeah, it also shows that, you know, it's a book that you can apply 
again, it's like my book, like any industry, not just film, but any industry. So, which is really useful. What is a band that you absolutely love? Like a music band? I really like the Foo Fighters. I mean, I love their their energy on stage and I work with their manager um, on a film he directed, which is not about them, but it was a, a, it's a fiction film. And they're just so, like Dave Gaul is like his energy is magnetic and he's so good live and just the whole music can be, you know, it, it kind of suits all kind of moods. It can be like, you know, more intense, but also like ballads are more relaxing. So he's got a bit of best of both worlds going on, which I find is really interesting. Yeah. I love the fact that he morphed also as a musician from like a drummer to a lead and a writer. It's just so cool. Yeah. No, it is. It's fascinating. And he's a great guy because in his interviews, he's really realistic. And that makes you warm to the music a lot more too. So yeah, so I like this to them. I love um, Everlong. It's probably one of the best songs in the world. It is a good one. Yeah, a really good one. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Something that you help your clients with, of course, is imposter syndrome. Would you mind giving the audience a few tips on working through that? So imposter syndrome is a big thing in the arts industry. Actually, most industries, but it is big in the arts industry. Because a lot of other time, filmmakers struggle to believe that they deserve their award or a festival or that comes in. When really they do deserve it, but it's hard for them to believe that they deserve it because they don't. They feel incompetent, or they're not as intelligent as other people might think. And that when someone to find out, you know, the truth about me, when it's all fictitious and it's all just anxiety. So one way that I help them with that is to help them just in a way by stepping back and asking them to like think, right, okay, remember this is your movie, and to remember that you created this, and it is all of your your work here and to keep talking to themselves positively and to not keep talking to themselves negatively and to think I made this, this is all me. You know, I have a team around me that can help me and I open up about what might be, what might be the the root cause here because the root cause is not going to be to do with the film. It's something else that's popped up, which could be through childhood or through some kind of trauma, but it really helps just get to the root of it is talking about it and figuring out where that kind of root cause is and to keep talking about your achievements positively and to keep saying things that are all kind words to the mind, body and soul. That helps them a lot. And also to break out of their comfort zone because sometimes mm-hmm. when they get in that, you know, like that mode, they start thinking, you know, really like, you know, toxic thoughts. It's not helpful. So by, and it comes in this like little, kind of like zone where they just then get a bit, you know, gonna just stay here and do my little thing and not grow and be all like the lowest level. It's not really me doing it. They're all, they're all negative things. And that's not a really good spot to be in because you end up then just not growing and you end up becoming depressed. So it's important to use it and to believe those achievements and that you do believe in yourself and that you love yourself. So it's saying kind of affirmations, positive talk, and also emotional freedom technique comes in here too. EFT is where you do tapping on the body at certain meridian points. And that is really, really good to help overcome those kind of those kind of feelings and those words because it taps into trapped emotions where sometimes that's what a person brings up is emotions that are trapped and need releasing. Do you find that confidence issues are one of the biggest barriers that your clients deal with? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because a lot of the time, they're, well, they are being judged by festivals, is being judged. And then when they get rejection, like, oh, is it not good enough? Well, it is. 
it's just many reasons why films are getting to festivals. It's not because they didn't like it, that it is, it's not good enough. It is. Sometimes it doesn't find the right place to fit or they haven't got enough room. There's many reasons why. And it's really what they think it is. And it's not either, some people say, oh, it's a bad review, that the production's a bad review. When They've just been told it's a no. There's no like, oh, it's really bad. Just been told a no. It's not the right way to perceive it. And confidence can come in when they get all the rejections. They start to get really like, am I a good filmmaker? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I direct? And those questions come up that are really irrational because it's just anxiety or from some kind of childhood trauma or whatever it might be. So I say to them all the time is to remember that you are a great filmmaker and you are a confident person. Don't let these rejections put you off. It's going to make you stronger. So it's that kind of mindset is to see it as a thing where it's going to be just not yet, but also something else will come in the right fit and that there's no one size fits all. And to remember that the no's do not mean to give up and there's nothing more for your career. It's actually the opposite. There's loads more things you can achieve. So stay confident and saying, don't change, stay confident. I always say the word stay confident, not like, oh, become confident. Stay confident is the key word. Yeah. I love how that can not only helps your clients, but it, it seems to transcend the creative fields because it's important to remember that just because something is a no doesn't mean you know, you're horrible at what you do. It doesn't mean you're not passionate. You know, it's, I love the thinking of it's a not yet, you know, or maybe it's not the right fit. That's a really good way to approach it. That's what I do with all of my clients. Um, I remember to always look at it like a no, is there something else? It might be a different route to take or direction, but it just means not yet. It doesn't mean no, that's it. The dream's over, just not yet. That's all it is. I remember um, several years ago applying for a job that I thought was going to be a wonderful fit. You know, it seemed a great fit on paper and based on my interests and location and everything. The interview went well. And then, you know, obviously I didn't I didn't get it. And I was crushed. But looking back X number of years later, I was like, oh, I I'm really glad everything worked out the way it did. Exactly. Because it's supposed to come in that way. It's like I have that. We all have that. We all have it. Like there's sometimes some festivals I'm like, you know, oh, damn, it's like, we, I really wanted that one. But then we get something else and then that helps it get a award that helps it to get something else down the line. And we're like, oh, I just didn't think of that. Because you just get something to get fixated on one thing. And it's really important to see the bigger picture. It's always a key thing. When I when that happens, I'm like, oh, hang on, let me see the bigger picture and not be too narrow. I mean, after obviously creation, actually, it's very focused, but I need to keep on top of the big picture still because that's a key thing. One final question before we wrap up. In your own words, what does living a creative life mean to you? One thing that pops up is freedom. Freedom. I just love creating a strategy for a film and I have the freedom and the bandwidth to do it. And there's no like end in sight. I can be, I'm going along as I want without any restriction. And I have no, you know, barriers or boundaries to face. Everything just flows. So yeah, I think the key word there is for me is freedom of expression freedom to be creative and freedom to do everything on my terms with nobody telling me what I should do. It's all my own authorship. I love that. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off? My key thing is, this is what I learned from one of my business mentors, is never give up on your dreams. Always keep moving forwards. Never give up. If you give up, you won't know what's going to happen. And then you you, you make defeat when there's nothing to worry about. Never give up. If there's a knock on the way or a bit of a, a setback, it's part of the process. Keep moving forwards and don't stop. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Please check the show notes to learn more about Dr. Rebecca Louisa Smith. And if you're a filmmaker or any type of creative, uh, feel free to dive into her new book. Again, links will be in the show notes. And thanks always for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.